Good morning, everybody. <sighs> Something special about having a, a woman of God. I, I love my wife. I love to hear her get excited about God and the things of God and share scripture and inspire me. She said, uh, we can't depend on inspiration to do the right things, but uh, sometimes God will put inspiring people in your life that will encourage you to do the right things. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, sometimes it feels like you're, you're beating a dead horse, but uh, at the same time, the scriptures remind us, I believe it's Peter says, you know, I'm just going to keep reminding you of the things uh, that you already know. So I think there's value in that. You know, as Mary was, was sharing about tithing and offering, just so you guys know, we're not in any danger. We don't feel like uh, we're not going to have our needs met. God has always met the needs in this church. And uh, he's going to continue to do that. So when we share these things, it's, it's about your walk with God and your faithfulness. But I wanted to share a, a quick testimony. I'm going to get into the, to the word. Uh, at our house, we've been doing stuff like everybody is, is doing home improvement projects and all these different things. And we've been making some, some changes at our house. And we redid our kids' rooms and, and did a couple of things uh, over the last couple of months. And uh, I bought these giant uh, mirrored closet doors. I was going to buy the really cheap ones, but then Gary kept poking me and said, get the other ones for your kids. They deserve it. I said, what do they need to look at themselves for? But anyway, <laughs> I listened to him because he's always telling me something to bless other people. Anyway, I bought these things and they were like a couple hundred dollars each. And I, and I went through all this work, got them all up. And the very last one, when I opened the box and finally got ready to hang it, it was broken. So uh, there's two doors in each box. So I take these things back to, to, uh, to Lowe's. And I didn't really have to argue with them, but you know, when you return stuff, you got to go through the whole nine yards. And long story short, I got it returned, and the lady accidentally returned two of them. It was $200, and because there was two doors for one closet, she thought that I was returning two. So instead of giving me $200 back, she gave me $400 back. And you know, when, when you get... <laughs> you know how we are as Christians, it'd be real easy to say, oh Lord, you done blessed me. You hooked it up, Lord. This is you returning to me what I have sowed into the kingdom. <laughs> but no, the first thought came into my mind. And I told her, hey, you know, you, it's actually only one door. You, you return money for two for me. And she actually got mad at me. She's like, well, you made it look like it was two different doors because you had two different skews. I'm like, I'm trying to give you your money back, lady. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we go through this whole thing and she charges me the right amount. And, and I get home and I'm so excited to tell Mary because I was like, it wasn't even a second thought, babe. Like there was a time in my life where that would have been my money. <laughs> there was a time in my life where even after being saved, there would have had to be some wrestling between me and the Lord about doing what I knew I needed to do. But it was so easy and so quick. It just, it came out of me. And my prayer is that uh, for all of us, when we get this financial thing right, it just flows into other areas of our life. It's so much easier to do the right thing because this is one of the most difficult areas for us is our finances. And when we get that thing right, it just becomes so easy. You know, that was a couple of hundred dollars. Then the city of Brea, since they shut down our basketball league, they sent me a check for $50. I cashed the thing, I did text to give, I gave $5 to the church. It doesn't matter if it's $5, $200, or $20,000. We just do the right thing by the Lord, amen? amen. Amen. So be encouraged. Don't be, don't be discouraged and don't be um, overwhelmed. The, the Lord will not let you go without. The Lord will provide and the Lord has given you a community to help meet your needs if you're ever struggling. Amen. 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 So we're going to talk about this morning some 
some right things and some good things and doing the right thing and all that good stuff. Um, I want to start with uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. How many of you heard that she passed away on Friday? See, everybody's all into the government and politics and news right now. So we all know that and we saw that. She served for 27 years on the court and she was known as the notorious RBG. There's nine Supreme Court justices. Can you put that, keep that picture up? So RBG is on the bottom right, little lady sitting there uh, with these nine Supreme Court justices and they decide how our federal laws are gonna be interpreted here in the United States. And when certain cases get all the way to the Supreme Court, they'll be the ones to, to make the final determination. So you can continue to appeal and appeal and it'll get to the Supreme Court, right? So they are the, the high standard of law here in the States. Christians, obviously we want a conservative uh, court. We want them to lead our country and to um, uh, make their determinations a particular way. But I'm sure many of us are more aware now than ever before that conservative is not the same as Christian. It doesn't mean the same thing. A conservative court is not necessarily a Christian court. Our hope can never be in politicians. Our hope can never be in judges, right? We can vote a particular way. We can hope that they would uh, lead and guide and judge a particular way. But at the end of the day, our hope is in Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. He's the righteous one. He is the one that, uh, he's Christ. So everything he does is the Christian way. That's where our hope has to be. However, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, I think she's worthy of respect and recognition. And although she was known as a liberal justice, I find it interesting how much work she did for women's rights and other forms of equality. You know, if you get a chance to just look her up, read a little bit about her. There's a couple of movies out about her, a book about her. Uh, that I think it's worth reading as you look at our justices, you look at judgment, you look at somebody fighting for equality and rights, right? But ultimately, I think uh, it's going to be the people of God that will ultimately and accurately usher in the hope and the healing that we need as a country, even as we come out of this storm. Now, our series has been hope, healing and hurricanes. And we've talked about uh, individual storms that we're in. We're talking about national storms that we're in. We're talking about COVID and the global storm that we're in and how to find hope and how to find healing as we go through these things. So again, I think it's going to be the men and women of God. I think it's going to be God himself. I think it's going to be his body, his church that ultimately will give hope and healing to all these different areas as we come out of these storms, right? So we've looked at a lot of different perspectives so far. We've seen how to find hope in the middle of a storm, in the eye of the storm, looking for Christ, not looking for a way out. We've looked at uh, how those who are on the outside, the lost, need to be found. And if we find ourselves in a storm, that does not mean that we cannot care for those who are, uh, who are lost. A lot of our time in this series so far, we've been talking about what does it mean for a man or woman of God, a Christian, to be in a storm? And how do we go through that? How do we find the Lord? How do we find hope? How do we find healing? You know, interesting uh, thinking again about what we do here at The Way as a church. You, you saw uh, uh, the Feed Brea. You see that a smaller church has on average been, been giving about 20% of the volunteers at Feed Brea have come from the smallest church of the 14 churches. Think about that for a second. 20% of the volunteers week in and week out have come from the smallest of the 14 churches. It's amazing. You know, we think about, again, our tithe, our offering, our giving here. Uh, the, the church hasn't bought 
pastor a new house or a new car, but the church has bought a van for Sidewalk Sanctuary and Feeding Friends. The church this week bought a trailer for Sidewalk Sanctuary so that we can give more food out, feed more people, evangelize to more of the lost. That's where our focus is and that's where our heart is. And I think that's worthy of recognition as well. So all these angles that we've been looking at uh, when it comes to these hurricanes, getting through them, some of these hurricanes, some of these storms are no fault of our own. It's just raining on everybody. It just is the life that we live until the Lord comes and restores all things. But how many of us know that some of the storms that we've experienced are self-inflicted? Anybody? Amen? Dang, those are the worst ones, right? When you're in a storm and you're like, Lord, I know this is just your will because I didn't do anything. and It's just happening. It's happening to everybody. There's this motivation. But sometimes when you're like, Lord, I'm in the middle of the storm and it's my fault. Actions I've taken, decisions I've made. However, this morning what I'd like to do is I want us to picture ourselves at a place where we found the Lord in the middle of the storm, whether self-inflicted or just happened to come upon us. We found the Lord. We've begun to find hope. We've even begun to find healing in the middle of this storm. And now what I want to look at is uh, this exit from the storm, our way out of the storm, coming through to the other side, uh, which we haven't got to yet in the series. I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 15, and I'm going to try to go fast this morning, guys, because i got a lot that I want to share with you and a lot of scripture that I want to, uh, to plant into our hearts and into our minds this morning. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our example. Say it, my. My. Right? Saying our examples, my example, your example. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. So this story is talking about you come out of Egypt, you come through and into this storm of the wilderness, right? And it says that uh, a few of them were able to get through that wilderness and into the promised land, but the majority fell in the wilderness because of idolatry. They died in the storm. That was the storm is to be in the wilderness, right? You got saved. You came out of Egypt and into this victory and into this freedom, but then you find yourself in the storm of the wilderness. You're not yet into the promised land. You haven't come out of the storm. And how many people died in the storm? 
My prayer this morning is that you would not die in your storm, that our loved ones would not die in the middle of their storms, but that we would be the few, right, that maybe would make it out of the storm and into these promises, into this promised land, right? Let's learn from their mistakes. That, that's what uh, Corinthians says. Paul says that these things have been written, they've been documented, they've been shared, and they've, they've been carried on so that we would learn from their mistakes, so that we would be able to come out of the storm. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Even for the storms, even for the struggles, Lord, even for the difficulties, Lord God, as they are shaping us and molding us, Lord, as you are not far from us in the middle of these storms, we're able to find you. We can find hope. We can find healing, Lord God. We can deliver hope and healing to others who are in the middle of their storms, Lord. Our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would also, though, make a way of escape for us, that you would show us that even in the most difficult times, through our faithfulness, through our seeking of you, that we can find you and then be ushered into the other side of the storm, Lord. That there is a day where the sun is shining, Lord. There is this, this season that we can live in, Lord, where we can um, experience and receive the blessings, Lord God, that you have intended for us, that you have set aside for us, Lord God. Help us to focus our attention on you, to focus our hearts and our minds upon you this morning, Lord God, that you would be able to speak, Lord, and plant seeds deep into the fertile soil of our hearts and of our minds, Lord. Have your way. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. All right. Like I said, I got a lot to say. Uh, the title of this message this morning is The Notorious RBG. And this morning it stands for Ruth, who is blessed by God. So that's the cover of her book if you guys decide to get it. But uh, Ruth, who is blessed by God this morning. All right, The Notorious RBG. And the things that we're going to look at if you're taking notes uh, are obviously Ruth, redemption, and righteousness. Ruth, redemption, and and righteousness. So we're going to start in, in Ruth chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, flip to Ruth. You're going to be there all morning. If you uh, have your tablets or phones, do the same thing and, and just be ready to, to follow along. It's a lot of reading, but I think it's such a great story that hopefully it will hold your, uh, your minds and your focus and attention and, and captivate you when you look at this story. All right, Ruth chapter 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, <laughs> that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from, that, from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughter, daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old and I have a husband. 
or I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. A lot of scripture, a whole chapter. So good though, right? This story of Naomi and the story of Ruth story of their family and suffering and loss and a storm that they're going through. They're actually going through the storm of their life. In this season, uh, we've seen members of our community, members of our family who have lost, lost loved ones due to all types of things, whether COVID and other things. We've seen people who are going through significant trials and tribulations and challenges. Some people that we talk to would probably tell you that they're going through the storm of their lives. We know that to be true about Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And Naomi in particular, Orpah and Ruth both lost their husbands, which is uh, unbelievable. And uh, many of us, none of us in this room that I know of have ever experienced anything like that. So we can't say that we really know what they're going through. What we can say is that Naomi, who not only lost her husband, but also lost both of her sons, was maybe going through something even a little bit more significant, a storm that was maybe even a little bit bigger, right? They're in the eye of the hurricane. Worst place they've ever been. But listen to what verse 20 says in Ruth chapter one. She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. First thing I wanted to, to ask you about or have you to think about is when you're going through something, when you're going through a storm, do we feel like this is the affliction of the Lord upon us? God is judging us. God is dealing bitterly with us. I think sometimes, just like Naomi, many of us feel isolated. We feel abandoned and we feel afflicted. And sometimes we even feel like it's God who's done these things to us. I don't think God intends for us to deny how we feel. I think God intends for us to bring that honestly to him. If you read through the scriptures, you see things like David coming and just crying out to God and angry with God, but he's being honest about where he is, and then God can deal with us when we're that way. That's how Naomi comes home. They're happy to see her, and she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. God's been bitter. God's dealt bitterly with me. 
What I really want us to see, though, in chapter one is commitment, identity, and transformation. What does it really mean to be a man of God or a woman of God? I would say it's a lot about commitment, identity, and transformation. This is where Ruth in our story becomes to be known as the notorious Ruth. The things that she says and the perspective that she has is remarkable. Her commitment level is off the charts. Her identity is no longer in her past with the Moabites. She now identifies with the children of Israel and the people of God, and she's been transformed. Easy to, to overlook, easy to, to fly by when you read through this scripture and through this book of the Bible, but I don't want us to do that this morning. Look at verse 14. They lifted up their voices, they wept. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, right? I remember a while back we, we preached a message called, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. <laughs> we talked about many of us have a relationship with God like that, where it's like, I love you, Lord, but I'm not in love with you. When you're in love with somebody, you sacrifice, you go the extra mile, you won't be stopped from getting to them and spending time with them, whatever it takes, right? As I read this, I feel like, like Orpa loves her mother, but it's not like she's in love, right? She's crying just like, uh, like Ruth is, but there's something different about the two of them. Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. She has been completely transformed. She's one of the children of Israel now and she's a servant of the Most High God. Commitment identity. She doesn't identify with her people from the past anymore in Moab. She identifies with Naomi. Even in Naomi's suffering, she still identifies with Naomi. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Wherever your people are, those are my people. Whoever your God is, that's my God. I think one of the most interesting things is that they lived in Moab. In Moab. It says that they lived there for 10 years and yet this small group of believers, this small community, a man, his two sons, a wife, and now their two wives, instead of being influenced by what was going on in Moab, they're completely surrounded by them, right? These two women, or one of these women, Ruth, was so significantly influenced by the children of God that it didn't matter what she was surrounded by. I thought about that in our lives. Where we find ourselves, are we influenced so much by the world that we live in by what we see on the news, by what we hear and, and see on social media, or are we the influencers? It doesn't matter if you're a smaller group, if you have the power of God and you're part of the community of God, we should be the influencers rather than the influenced. One of the pastors from Northern California sent me a, an article or a quote from an article that talked about how many people are leaving California because it's begun to be so liberal and there's so many challenges and they're going to other states and they're raising their family other places. And the pastor said, this is where you actually need Christians. Not to be influenced by this state, but to influence this state by the power of God and for the will of God. And I feel like that's what happened with this family. They went into Moab and they didn't come out as non-believers. They actually brought believers with them, made believers out of those who were in Moab. Power of God and a small community of believers can overcome any influence and any surrounding in their life. 
Do we have the power of God? Are you part of a community that's helping you overcome the influences at work, at home, in sports, in our communities, in our cities? I think it's interesting. Orpah, on the other hand, she turned back and went away from the things of God, the people of God. They seemed to be smaller. They seemed to be suffering, right? They were in a storm. I lost my husband. I'm just going to go back to Moab. I'm going to go back to our idols, go back to the way that I was living before, go find me a Moabite husband and live my life. I wonder why Ruth was so different in her decision. When things were good, I wonder what Ruth was doing that was really showing her commitment and her change in identity and her transformation that obviously Orpah was not doing and was not entering into because when the storm hit, they went in two different directions. What are you doing right now in your walk with God when it comes to commitment and identification and transformation? Like we talked about before, if you're not in a storm, a storm is coming. And when it comes, will you be like Orpah or will you be like Ruth? I'd rather suffer with you because I'm in the right place doing the right things than go back where I came from and quote unquote not be suffering in this life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. One of the elders talked to me about this scripture earlier this week, this idea that, yeah, we were all together, but they went, out, they went out from us. They were not of us. When it got hard and when the storm hit and when it hit the fan and there were needs to be met and when people were struggling, there was COVID, they took the Orpah road. They went out from us, but they were never really of us. One of the things that's been so enriching for me is to watch how people have continued to stay committed, not to the church and not to just giving, but to one another. I look around this morning and I see people that need each other, that are committed to one another, that have all been through something significant over the last months of this year. But it seems to be that we're still of one another, that we're still a community, that we're still gathering, that we're still caring for each other, trying to bless one another. I watched all these kids get dropped off by their parents for the youth so that the youth could be together. Part of me felt like maybe they were like us and like just want to get away from our kids for a little while. <laughs> but the other part was like, no, these kids need to be together. They need youth leaders. They need a community. So chapter one ends with them coming back to Bethlehem. We know a little bit about Bethlehem, that a, a child's going to be born there at some point who's pretty important. Amen. Let's go on to Ruth chapter 2. First part is about commitment, identity, and transformation. That's the first thing that we see when it comes to Ruth, the notorious Ruth, blessed by God. Same thing for us. And, and remember, we're trying to get out of the storm right now. So how do you do that? First and foremost, make sure that you are uh, committed, identifying with God and the people of God, and that you are being and have been transformed. Otherwise, the storms continue, right? There's a work that God's doing in this storm. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. 
Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, say reaper. reaper, said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Imagine if you were at work and like that's how your boss came in, like it was just exciting. They're out there working in the field and the boss comes, the Lord be with you and the Lord be with you. It's never like that at work, is it? But it could be. All right, where are we at? Verse, uh, verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servants, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and you have come to a people whom you did not know before. Sounds a lot like Abram, right? Isn't that what God told the very first one, Abram? Leave your mother and your father to a land that you have not been before. And here's Ruth falling in that same identity. She said, Um... Verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Verse 13, then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and she was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up, went into the city to her mother-in-law, saw, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And he of the, or excuse me, and Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. It's getting better and better. So good here. So Ruth goes into this, this field to glean. 
it's a humbling thing, right? To go basically pick up scraps behind the reapers. But what a blessing she finds in this experience, right? The thing I want us to understand in, in this portion, in chapter 2, is that the Lord provides even in the storm. So good, right? Like, we, we've had our identity changed. We've been committed to God. We've been transformed into the people of God. But we still find ourselves in a storm. But remember, the Lord will provide in the middle of the storm. They're struggling. She's struggling. Her mother-in-law uh, is struggling. But God is finding a way to provide for them. I think it's amazing that it says that when she went and they're having dinner and she got full, it says that she kept some back. And you can almost picture her putting a little bit into her pocket. She's putting a little bit of food into her pocket. So not only what she gleaned, she gets back to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she pulls out of her pocket and she's like, here, mom, eat, eat, eat. I wasn't just thinking about myself in my suffering and in my storm and this thing that God did, he so blessed me. No, I was thinking about you. I was the one actually out there working and sweating and humble. They're watching me pick up scraps. But I didn't use that as an excuse. I still love you and I care about you and I couldn't stop thinking about you when I was being blessed. So good. Beyond that, not just Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, let's look at Boaz. He's providing for the poor. This man gets it. And it's not just because she's cute, right? He's like, who is that girl over there? And they tell her who she is. But you could tell that this is his character. You could tell that this is the kind of man that he is. He didn't say who's gleaning and who's stealing from us, who's taking some of what we planted and what we sowed. He's allowing her to glean, right? But he's understanding like this is part of what it means to be a man of God. This is part of what it means to be somebody who's blessed is that others are going to need to glean from you. It's been said, uh, a friend of mine says this a lot and it's just really stuck with me. He says, we need to sow in squares and reap in circles. Sow in squares, but reap in circles. What that means is if you sow in a square, you get all the way to the corners, right? Any of you, any of you who have driven by a field where, where crops are planted, you know there's these straight lines, right? You plow through, you get, it, you get uh, these little humps of elevation, you plant the seed there, you water it, and it goes straight lines for miles and miles. You sow in squares right to the edge of your field, making the most of what God has given you. But when you reap, you don't reap in squares, you reap in circles, which means you never get to those corners. Why? Because that's for the gleaners. That's for the hungry. That's for the poor. That's for those who are actually uh, harvesting and working in the field that they can eat off of that as well. This is the mentality that Boaz has. He looks at, at Ruth, right? And not just Ruth, but anybody in the community, he's sowing in squares, but he's reaping in circles, always providing for those who are less fortunate. Did they pay for the seed? No. Did they plant it? Did they water it? Are they out there laboring to harvest it? No. They're just in need, and he's meeting that need. How countercultural is that for Americans especially? We say you reap what you sow, you get what you deserve. If you labor, you're going to have a harvest. All these principles are true, but on top of all that, God always says, yeah, but still, <laughs> I'm going to provide for the poor. I'm going to provide for the needy. I don't care if they're poor because of a storm that came upon them, and I don't care if they're poor because of decisions they've made and it was self-inflicted. There will be a harvest for them as well. Man, I want to be like Christ. 
the plans of God. You know, gleaning was a part of life and a part of society, but it was dependent on the sowers and it was dependent on the reapers to understand how vital that role is, right? It would be real easy to say, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna reap it all. I'm gonna maximize my income, my, product, my productivity. Imagine if a business operated with this principle, we would call them crazy. Look at the commercials that come on right now. It's all about being more effective, about being more efficient, how to get the most out of all your resources, which is, which is, I don't know if you guys can understand what I'm really trying to tell you this morning, but there's a tension there where that's part of what it means to be a good steward is to do the absolute best you can. But if we lose that heart of God, that's saying, you know what, there should be excess. There should be a little bit additional. I remember my first job, I worked at KFC and don't say anything about black people and chicken right now. I worked at KFC and every night we would close and there would be a ton of food and they would throw it away. And I could not get my mind around it. Like, I'm like, I don't understand. I'm not just talking about like my friends that are gonna come pick me up because I didn't have a car, let me hook them up with a pot pie or something. I'm just saying, there's hungry people out here and we're gonna throw all this food away rather than give it to hungry people, right? There was all kinds of challenges I found out later with, with doing that and what if somebody gets sick, all that kind of stuff. But I think the principle is that like, we're not concerned with the have nots. We'll sell it all day and instead of giving it to somebody that can't pay for it, we'll throw it away. That's crazy. But that's ultimately, I think, one of the primary principles that we operate under as citizens of most nations rather than citizens of the kingdom of God. Boaz gets this. He says it's a vital role. It's important that we do this. He teaches his reapers to do it. He's the kind of boss that comes out and says, the Lord be with you. And they say, you be blessed. He says, let's give to the poor. Let's make sure we leave something. And listen to the story. What did it say? She, he, he told her at the end, he said, you don't even have to go to the corners. I'm going to tell my guys to shake out a little extra. You can go right to the bag. That's crazy. You don't even have to go to the edges and the corners and be out there in the heat and be humbled and look, look, there's the poor people getting their food. He says, when we're done gathering it, we have sheaves, we have bags full, just go over to the bag and get what you need. My God. How does the Lord provide for gleaners? Through reapers. Not just food and finances. If you got a little extra love in your heart right now, there are some people who are on E. They need that. God ain't just working on us to give financially. God's saying, look, if you got a little bit of extra of anything right now, a little extra hope, a little extra love, a little extra time, there are people who are poor and depleted right now, and they need you to allow them to glean off of what you have. I'm in trouble now. Nobody wants to make eye contact anymore. <laughs> it was quiet, but we were getting eye contact. Now it's quiet and no eye contact. I'm in trouble. Come on, Ruth. RBG. We're close to finishing. Let's go to chapter 3. Say chapter 3. Chapter 3. A lot of word this morning. Amen? Amen. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. 
Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, say feet, feet. and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. And in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am close, a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if, I, that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, then good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley, laid it on her. Then she went into the city. So when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded this matter, uh, the matter this day. I'm going to read uh, verse or chapter four a little bit here. Verse one of chapter four. Now Boaz went up to the gate, sat down there and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside, sat down, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from, her, from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to, my brother, to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it, my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, 
the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Wow. Say, that's a lot. That's a lot. The good news is you guys have read a lot of scripture today. <laughs> Almost a full book of the Bible. You guys are starting off your week. Great. So many good things here, and I wish we could talk about all of them. <clears throat> One of them, I think, is, is interesting. We'll just touch on it, this idea of, of Naomi showing this gratitude, right? Naomi uh, tells Ruth how to show her gratitude to Boaz. And again, we can look at this two different ways, but I, I love the way that she did this. She said, he's down there working. It's late at night. This is a man that's still working, dealing with his grain. She said, get yourself cleaned up. Go down there. Don't let anybody see you, right? Creep into the room, and then what? Lay at his feet. That's why I had you guys say feet. <laughs> she could have done other things to show her gratitude. She could have came in with a different kind of spirit to show that she's interested in this man. But she just wanted to humble herself, laid at his feet. And when he woke up, look at the kind of man he is. He's startled to find a strange woman in his bed. And he says, who is that? And he blesses her. He says, stay covered, right? I'm going to send you back with food. I'm not going to take advantage of you because of my position or because of what I have and what I potentially could be able to offer you. So many good things we can learn from Boaz again and from Ruth again here, from Naomi as a mother-in-law. <clears throat> what I want to focus on this, in this part of the story, though, is righteousness. Earlier I said we were going to talk about uh, righteousness right, and redemption, all these good things. But righteousness... You see it in their behavior. You see it in their openness and their honesty, in their gratefulness, and in their planning. So what is righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to behave righteously? Let's look at their desires. Naomi wants security for Ruth. Look at, look at this, the whole story, and what does Naomi want? Naomi feels like she's been in a storm, that she's been kind of um, um, beaten up, and that God has kind of turned his back on her. But what kind of attitude does she have? She tells her daughter-in-laws, both of them, get away from me because nothing but negativity is around me, and I want you guys to be blessed. She's not the type of woman that says, I'm suffering, and I want everyone else around me to suffer. That's actually her heart when she tells them, leave me, leave me, get away from me. Then when she realizes that, that Ruth is not going to leave her, she takes Ruth with her, and then she says, I want you to be blessed. Go out there and glean. Go out there. There's people who will care for you. There's people who will bless you. Even at the end here, when she's starting to get blessed, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, listen, get yourself looking good. Get yourself smelling good. Go down there and lay at his feet. She wants a future for Ruth, even though she used to be married to her son. Think about that. Righteousness cares about others more than it cares about oneself. And I think it's so clear to see that. She's saying, listen, I may have to be a widow for the rest of my life, but you don't have to be that, Ruth. I know you love my son. I know you love the Lord now. I want to put you in a position to be blessed and to be cared for. I think that's a lot, uh, a good example of some of the characteristics of the righteous. What about Ruth? She wants to provide for her mother, her mother-in-law. And we know that historically, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationships are always great. 
But that's what her desire is. If you look at the story of, of Ruth so far, the notorious, has she really been concerned for herself? Or is everything she doing about other people? She left everything she knew in her own community and her own family to follow an old widow just so that she wouldn't be alone in her widowhood. <laughs> then she gets to, a, to, the, to Bethlehem and she says, I'm going to be the one to go out and labor and go out and work and go out and be seen as poor and taking scraps and gleaning. And then she keeps coming back and saying, look, look, mom, here, for you, for you, for you, for you. Look at the character of these people in this story. Same thing for Ruth. She cares more about Naomi than she does about herself. That's what it seems to be to me. And then the last one, like we talked about already, is Boaz, right? And he is caring for the poor. He's caring for widows. He's feeding the poor. He sees this distant family of his. And even though you could tell, obviously, he begins to fall for Ruth, he does it with such uh, integrity and righteousness. How do, I, how do I say that to me the key of this chapter is about righteousness is look at what he did uh, when he was so close to getting what he wanted. Many of us will begin to be transformed and live in a certain way that we see blessings coming into our lives. That's, that's the promises of God that you'll see this. But I don't know about you, but I found myself several times while following God, getting to a place where now I can reach out and do what I want to do to get what I want. Like God's been so good every step of the way. And I could see like over there is his promise and when he wants to give me certain things. But right here, if I want to, I can take it right here. I can not tell the lady that she gave me too much money and take it right here. I cannot lay at the feet. I can lay right next to because I'm, I'm here. I told him I wanted a man, and now there's one that wants me and that I want, and I'm at his feet, but I can easily creep up to the top of the bed. Right here, I can take what I want. And that's where Boaz finds himself. She's there. He's done a good job of providing for the, four, for the poor and sending food back with her. She's making it clear that she wants to be with him. But instead of saying, let's do this, what does he say? You know what? There's actually somebody in line before me that actually has the right to redeem that land and to marry you and to take care of you guys. I want to, and I could do it if I wanted to, if that was my character, but I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to do the right thing and go through the right channels. He risked everything for righteousness. You and I have to be willing to risk everything for righteousness, even when it's right there and you can see it and it's within arm's reach. He goes and he finds this man. He brings 10 witnesses, elders, not just any witnesses, men of righteousness, men of honor. And he says, listen, if you want to redeem this land, it's yours. If you want to care for this family that has lost all the men in their family and you can be the man of their family now, it's yours. He risked everything, but then he received everything. The man says, no, I can't do it. I've got my other things going on. How many of us have put what's most valuable to you into the hands and the plans of God? Like that's what he did. I want this land. I want to take care of the mother-in-law. I want to marry Ruth. But I'm going to put all that into the hands of God and say, God, if this is your plan for me, then you're going to have to open some doors and shut some doors. This other man is going to have to deny this so that I can receive it. You know how you come out of the storm and into the promises? Through righteousness. That's how you come out of the storm 
and into the promises. Storms come for all of us. We can find hope in the middle of the storm. We can find God in the middle of the storm. We can even begin to get healing in the middle of the storm. But if you want to come out of the storm and into the promises and into the fruit and into all the good stuff, you only get out of the storm and into those things through righteousness. This kind of character, this kind of decision-making, and this kind of action. So many of us myself included, have fallen short at this moment in our stories. We've done so well, but then when it's within arm's reach, we reach. Even though it's in, within arm's reach, what we need to do is release. Here, God, you brought me this far. I don't even want it if you don't give it to me. How is this righteousness, this idea of loving others, caring for the poor? James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You got to get that and. Took care of widows, took care of an orphan, took care of the poor, but he also kept himself unspotted in his behavior. Luke 10, 27, so he answered and said, this is the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself righteousness love God and love people care for people sacrifice for people die for people second Corinthians 5 21 for Jesus made or for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him there's this transfer there's this he takes our sin and our unholiness and our unrighteousness takes all that upon him, not just to pay for our sins, that we would be able to be forgiven, but that we would become the righteousness of God, that we would behave and act and live and move like Boaz, like Ruth, like Naomi, with righteousness, with the righteousness of God. It's the way out of the storm. We got to get right. We got to get righteous. Now's the time to give if you've been withholding. Now's the time to forgive if you've been holding a grudge, if you've been, if you've been uh, holding something over somebody's head or unforgiving, you're, you won't call, you won't apologize. Now is the time to do that. Get right. Get righteous. Take those steps of action. Now is the time to come back if you've stayed away. Every week I've seen somebody else come back into this place and it's been exciting. Not because it's like you don't have fear of COVID anymore. No, wear your mask, do the right thing, but the community needs you. It's not like I, I want people to be unwise or ignorant and say, I'm going to put myself at risk and put my family at risk and put those who are already at risk because they're older or have pre-existing pre conditions at risk. No, I'm going to actually take the steps that are required so that I can gather with my community. Most of us have come to realize as the weeks were going on and the months were going on, it wasn't getting easier to come back. It was getting harder to come back. Get right. It's the way out of the storm. Get connected if you've been disconnected. Now's the time to pray. If you haven't been praying, you've been ignoring God or not listening to God or just not taking the time to pray, now's the time to get right. You're not going to come out of the storm without righteousness, seeking the Lord, talking to God. And finally, now's the time to repent if you haven't. If there's any sin that's been covered, if there's anything that you've begun to get comfortable with, if there's anything that nobody else knows about but you know about, now's the time to repent. Repent. 
hard message to listen to at certain points, I'm sure. But let me, let me be honest with you, a hard message to, to preach. As I was preparing this, I was thinking to myself, yeah, there's, there's a times right now where it's like, yeah, I did that right, good job, Bond. But there's a lot of other things that I'm saying to myself, the same thing I'm saying to you, now's the time. Get right, repent, apologize, restore, forgive. Stop withholding, stop covering, stop masking. It's the only way out of the storm. Earlier we started and we said that the Lord will make a way of escape. This is the way that we escape. This is the way that we get out of the wilderness, out of the storm and into the promised land. And finally, as we close, I want to say this, that this is not just a way of escape. This is an escape with an escort. (laughs) There's a way of escape where you get out of trouble. There's another thing when the Lord tells you, hey, we're going out of the storm now. (laughs) And you've got an escort. How amazing is that to think that you could come out of this COVID, you could come out of the racial injustice issues, you can come out of this season of politics and elections, you can come out of the season of not gathering and be escorted by God himself into the destiny and the future and the hope that he has for you. I'll take that and the cost is righteousness. (laughs) That's the cost. So let's close the last few verses of, of Ruth chapter 14 and Isaiah, you can come so they know and trust that I'm actually closing. (laughs) But let's see what happens on the other side of the storm, guys. How many of you want to see what happens on the other side of the storm? Amen. I want to see it in Ruth, and I want to see it in your life, and I want to see it in my my life. So verse 13, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. She has borne him. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Abinadab, Abinadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Kings come from this. Royalty comes from this. They're starting in a storm of death and destruction and despair. And because of faithfulness and righteousness, commitment, integrity, identifying with Christ and the people of God, transformation, caring for the poor, making good decisions for the right reasons, seeking righteousness, loving those who are not loved, sowing in squares but reaping in circles laying at the feet instead of at the side, releasing instead of reaching because it's close, risking everything just to make sure that the only thing you receive are the things that God actually has for you. All those things came into play. And what do we get from that? Destiny, new life, new birth. The women in the city, she comes home and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. 
And by the end of the story, they're jumping and shouting and saying, you're blessed. Your one daughter's better than seven sons. A child's been born to you. It actually came to her daughter-in-law, but they say this child has been born to you. Everybody's getting blessed. I wonder what is on the other side of your storm. I wonder what's on the other side of my storm. I'll tell you this, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's stand, let's bow our heads. A few minutes ago I said that uh, if you haven't been praying that maybe now is the time to get right, to get righteous, to seek the righteous one, to seek the face of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just seek the Lord for just a moment? That he'd be able to just solidify whatever he's speaking to you this morning. Whatever seed it is that he's planting, that it would fall into deep, fertile soil of your heart and mind. Other seeds that were previously planted, would you pray that they would just continue to be watered? And for some of you, Maybe there's something he wants you to harvest right now, here in this place this morning. The fruit is ready, the flower is ready. It's time to harvest it, it's time to enjoy it. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, you talk about the prayers of your people being a sweet smelling aroma, like incense that are floating up to heaven, Lord. That you hear it, that you smell it, that you receive it, that it brings you joy and glory, Lord. Here in this place this morning, you have sons and you have daughters. And we're praying to you, Lord. We're seeking you. We've desired to find you in the middle of our storms, individual storms and collective storms. And here we are, Lord. Speak for your servants are listening. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open. It's your voice we desire to hear. It's your hand we desire to hold. As you pray, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to extend an invitation for salvation. We talk about righteousness and making right decisions and right actions and getting right. This is something that we can do as believers because we've been covered by the blood, because we've been forgiven of our sins, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But until we've been forgiven, until we receive the Holy Spirit, until our sins have been placed upon the Savior, there's no hope for righteousness in us or with us. It's only through salvation, only through being washed by the blood, only through this uh, transfer of our unrighteousness out and his righteousness in that there's any hope for us so we're praying for you this morning if you're here if you're listening that you would receive that in the book of revelation it says verse 713 one of the elders answered saying to me who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from and i said to him sir you know and he said to me these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You may be in a great tribulation. You may be in the middle of an amazing storm like you've never seen before. Every person who's come to faith has come out of their great tribulation. 
They were headed for death. They were already dead in their sins and trespasses. And then Jesus arrives and says, I will wash you with my blood and you'll be white as snow. You'll be forgiven for everything. And one day you'll find yourself in that procession, <laughs> worshiping God in the heavens. But it's based on a decision that you have to make. It's a humbling decision, just like it's humbling to go out and reap in those corners, saying, I'm poor, I'm needy, I'm hungry. I haven't worked for it. I don't deserve it, but I need it. It's the same thing we do when we come to the Lord and we say, I'm poor, I'm wretched, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve forgiveness, but I need it. If that's you this morning, the heads are bowed, the eyes are closed, it's between you and the Lord. I just want you to raise your hand that I would be able to see you, that you would take that action to say, that is me. That's like that woman going out to the field and actually reaping. Just raise your hand saying that you want to be saved. Amen. I see you, sis. Anybody else this morning? We're praying for you. We're praying with you. Anybody else? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our sister. Lord, we pray for her identity. We pray for her commitment. We pray for her transformation, Lord. We thank you that it's not dependent upon her, but that you, Jesus, will do all that work by your Holy Spirit, that you'll hold her in your hand and you'll never let her go. We thank you, Lord, that we get to be witnesses, just like all those in this story that watched Boaz and watched Ruth and watched Naomi. They were witnesses to your love and your righteousness and your power. This morning, as we see somebody come to faith, commit themselves to you, Lord. We get to be witnesses to your love and your power, your faith, your faithfulness. Church, we're going to open the altars for prayer. We're going to have our mask on. We're going to open communion that will be handed to you. Uh, you can come for anything if there's something you want to respond to, but I want to pray this last prayer, prayer over you is that you'd be humble enough to glean. And if you've been blessed, you'd be righteous enough to reap in circles, care for those who are gleaning, to make provision for those that have not. So the altars are open. We're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for Ruth and for Boaz, Lord God. We thank you for destiny. We thank you that you intend to bring us through and onto the other side of our storms, Lord God. We thank you for an opportunity to gather. We thank you, Lord. We can't thank you enough, Lord. We thank you for your righteousness that's been imparted and imputed into our accounts, Lord God. Help us. Help us, Lord, to release when it's so easy for us to reach. We only want what you have for us, Lord. And we surrender all to you. Like Paul said, you counted all this loss, Lord, for you. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. The altars are open. Communion will come around to you. Pray. Bless each other.